Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Tudors Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Larson, owner of TudorsDynasty.com. Welcome to the show. For those who are new to my podcast, I take a minute at the beginning of every show to thank the people who've been generous enough to donate and become patrons to keep this show going. This week, I have one new patron. I'd like to give a big shout out to Shelby for joining the group of amazing supporters. I'd also like to thank Sari, Suke, Johanna, Doris, Courtney, Anastasia, Anna, Bob, Diana, Rachel D, Stacy, Michelle, Lacey, Diane, Kathy, Katie, Joy, James, Anne, Azaria, Lisa, Nora, Sarah, Wendy, Mary, Cynthia, Melissa S., Nicole, Mary, Cheryl, Carrie, Heather from the English Renaissance History Podcast, Tanya, Donna, Catherine, Jen, Lara, Megan, and Pat B. If you'd like to become a patron of my podcast, go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tudors Dynasty and click become a patron. For as little as a dollar per month, you can show your support. Okay, with that, let's get on with the show. Sit back, relax, and prepare to be transported back in time to the life of Elizabeth Stafford, Duchess of Norfolk. Elizabeth Stafford was the daughter of the ill-fated Edward Stafford, 3rd Duke of Buckingham, and Eleanor Percy, eldest daughter of Henry Percy, 4th Earl of Northumberland. She was born in 1497, so we can assume that she was named for the Queen Consort, Elizabeth of York. Before we go too deep into the life of Elizabeth, let's understand her family a bit better. Elizabeth's father, the 3rd Duke of Buckingham, was a proud man. Here's a bit that is quoted from Oxford's Dictionary of National Biography, written by C.S.L. Davies. Quote, when his father rebelled against Richard III in 1483 and was executed, Edward Stafford was hidden in various houses in Hertfordshire. Whether he remained there for the rest of Richard's reign is unclear. End quote. Edward then attended the coronation of the new Tudor king, Henry VII, in November 1485, after the reversal of the second Duke of Buckingham's attainder, Edward was restored to his inheritance. He was now third Duke of Buckingham. Here's another quote from that CSL Davies again. After the execution of his father, his mother had married Henry VII's uncle, Jasper Tudor. Despite this, Buckingham's wardship was entrusted to the king's mother, Lady Margaret Beaufort, and his education probably took place at her various houses. He was to follow Lady Margaret's example in his own household, end quote. This should give you an idea of what Elizabeth's father's childhood was like. She was surely brought up with the same values as her father was taught by Margaret Beaufort. Like most women of the time, at least women of noble birth, Elizabeth Stafford was educated at home. University was only for their male counterparts, of course. 
Elizabeth's father, the Duke of Buckingham, had originally promised to marry his daughter to his ward, Ralph Neville, 4th Earl of Westmoreland. That is, until the recently widowed Thomas Norfolk, the then Earl of Surrey, came a Elizabeth is quoted as writing this about Ralph Neville. He and I had loved together two years, end quote, and her plan was to marry him before Christmas. But Howard and her father had other plans for the young Elizabeth. Thomas Howard wanted Elizabeth Stafford for his second bride. Buckingham, seeing as his daughter had already been promised in marriage to his ward Neville, offered one of Elizabeth's younger sisters in her place. Norfolk declined the offer because Elizabeth was the eldest daughter and with her came more wealth. Eventually, an agreement was reached between Buckingham and Norfolk, and the couple were married in 1513. What a powerhouse marriage that must have been seen as the Buckinghams and the Norfolks. Wow. Elizabeth became Countess of Surrey upon their marriage at the tender age of 15. Howard was 20 years her senior at 35. Upon their marriage, Thomas Howard received a dowry of 2,000 marks, while Elizabeth was promised an annual income of 500 marks. Per reports, this was an income she'd never received. That being said, Elizabeth, like most women, had hoped to marry for love. She believed that her marriage to Howard would be just that. We are soon to discover that it was not in the cards for the two of them. Elizabeth was a dutiful wife. In 1520, she and her children moved to Ireland with Thomas, where he was to serve the king as lieutenant of Ireland. Despite being away from all she knew, Elizabeth loved her husband and was loyal to him. In 1521, Henry Stafford, third Duke of Buckingham, was executed for treason. There is no evidence to declare how Elizabeth felt about it while she was far away in Ireland. We must assume that she mourned the loss of her father, though. Unfortunately, any happiness that she found with her husband would soon be over. Thomas Howard, now the Duke of Norfolk, took a mistress in 1527. She is someone you've certainly heard of. Her name was Bess Holland, and she was the daughter of his private secretary. Bess Holland, as stated, was the daughter of the Duke's secretary and household treasurer. At the time she became the Duke's mistress, she was one of Anne Boleyn's attendants, prior to Anne being queen. Howard then installed her in his household, thereby deepening his estrangement from Elizabeth. Elizabeth was clearly hurt by the affair. She once described Bess as a harlot, a drab, and a churl's daughter, who was but a washer of my nursery for eight years. The Duke and Duchess had several children together, but we know two of them the best. Henry Howard, the Earl of Surrey, and Mary Howard, Duchess of Richmond and Somerset. In December of 1529, Henry VIII requested that the Duke of Norfolk's son, the Earl of Surrey, become a companion to his illegitimate son, Henry Fitzroy. It was at this time that a marriage was arranged between the Duke's daughter, Mary, and Fitzroy. While many have said that the marriage was Anne Boleyn's idea, she was the niece of the Duke of Norfolk, it had always been maintained by Norfolk that it was the idea of the king. Regardless, the marriage between Fitzroy and Mary Howard had definitely been promoted by Anne to help strengthen her ties to the throne. Like the later marriage of Henry VIII and Anne of Cleves, there was no dowry expected with the marriage of Mary and Fitzroy, which was unusual for the time. This may indicate the influence again that Anne Boleyn had over the king. Elizabeth Stafford was totally against her daughter's marriage. Elizabeth had served Catherine of Aragon years earlier and was loyal to her cause. However, she was thrust into serving Anne Boleyn and was not happy about it. 
Elizabeth was vocal about her opinion on the annulment proceedings, which resulted in her being exiled from court in 1531. In 1532, it was made known to Elizabeth that since her mother had passed in February, her manners would go to the king by her husband's attainder. When her son, the Earl of Surrey, returned from his time in France with Henry Fitzroy in September 1533, he was about 16 years old, and he returned to a different England than the one that he left in October of 1532. Anne Boleyn was now queen, her daughter Elizabeth was now heir to the throne, and the king was newly dubbed Supreme Head of the Church of England. In addition to all the change in England, Henry had also returned to a very different family situation at Kenninghall. His father's mistress, Bess Holland, had essentially replaced his mother, who was in disgrace for her actions at court. In a letter dated the 17th of March, 1534, Eustace Chapuis, the imperial ambassador, mentioned how Elizabeth had been appointed mistress of the robes to the, quote, bastard, a position that Elizabeth must have despised as she was a friend of Catherine of Aragon and presumably her daughter Mary. The letter also gives us a glimpse at the type of behavior that the Duke of Norfolk believed was acceptable toward the Princess Mary. Quote, I am told this very morning that the Duke of Norfolk went yesterday to the place where she is, the Lady Mary, to renew the former threats. Besides that, the Duke ordered her best robes to be seized on the plea that she was no longer a princess and that it was necessary to reduce her pomp and pride. In addition to that, the Duchess of Norfolk had been appointed mistress of the robes to the bastard, meaning Princess Elizabeth, and at the same time, one of the principal officers of the princess's household had been dismissed from the service on account of having shown some affection toward her and done her some small service, end quote. Elizabeth was eventually set to Redbourne in Herefordshire, where she lived in a state of virtual imprisonment with a meager annual allowance of 2,000 pounds. And in the spring of 1534, she said that her husband, quote, locked me up in a chamber and took away my jewels and imperil, end quote. From Redbourne, Elizabeth sent a series of letters to Cromwell, pleading for help. On the 23rd of August, 1534, Elizabeth sent a letter with the following request. She asked him to send her some venison, which is very scanty with her. Many of her friends who sent her venison last year dare send none now for the fear of the Lord's displeasure. Her husband has not sent her any since she came to Redbourne. Thanks for Cromwell's kindness, and she begs him to continue. Elizabeth's husband attempted to persuade her to agree to a divorce by the offer of, quote, material awards and the return of her jewels and clothes, end quote. Yet she would not agree. As stated earlier, Elizabeth was opposed to the marriage of her daughter, Mary. She quarreled openly with Norfolk over the arranged marriage and primarily disapproved of them due to the involvement of the perceived concubine, Anne Boleyn. In 1536, after the execution of Anne Boleyn, Elizabeth was still fighting against her husband to keep their marriage. On the 26th of June, she wrote a letter to Cromwell pleading her case. I pulled this letter from Rivals in Power by David Stargy. Quote, The cause of my writing unto you is this, that I may know whether I shall have a better living or not, which my lord, my husband, hath forgotten now, he hath so much wealth and honors, and is so far doting love with the queen, or whore, he knoweth it is spoken of far and near, to his great dishonor and shame. And he chose me for love, and I am younger than he by twenty years. And he hath put me away four years and a quarter at this midsummer. 
and I have always liked a good woman, as it is not unknown. He hath taken away all of my jewels and my apparel, and kept me four years and more like a prisoner. Another cause, he set his women to bind me till blood came out of my finger's end, and pinnacled me and sat on my breast till I spit blood, and he never punished them, and all this was done for Bess Holland's sake." End quote. In the letter, one she wrote to clearly get Cromwell's attention about the abuse against her, Elizabeth alleges rather awful treatment against her, some of which seems too extreme to believe. That is, until we remember what her husband was recorded as saying to the king's daughter, Mary. In response to Mary not recognizing Henry VIII as supreme head of the Church of England, and that her parents' marriage was never valid. He stated that if she was his daughter, that he would, quote, bash her head into the wall until it was as soft as a baked apple, end quote. That was a year before Elizabeth wrote her letter to Cromwell. Norfolk wanted a divorce. Elizabeth, like Catherine of Aragon, refused to give one to him. I get the impression that Elizabeth was playing dirty, a different trick than her dear friend Catherine of Aragon used. She even claimed that Norfolk assaulted her as early as 1519, six years into their marriage, during the birth of their daughter, Mary. When Norfolk discovered what his wife had said, he sent a letter to Cromwell and called her out as a liar, as he would never harm an unborn child. He said, quote, My good Lord, if I prove not by witness, and that with many honest persons, that she had the scar in her head 15 months before she was delivered of my said daughter, due to a procedure she had done by a surgeon in London, end quote. Elizabeth's brother, Henry Stafford, even turned against her, calling wild language in her sensual and willful mind. Norfolk was not a perfect man. This I think we already knew. During his time in England, his treasurer, John Stile, had complained about Norfolk's temper. He said that his master was, quote, sometimes more hasty than needeth, end quote. Tudor historian Polidora Virgil said that Norfolk was quick with his fists, this is evident at the end of his letters, saying that if his wife would ever come into his company again, that she, quote, might give me occasion to handle her otherwise than I have done yet, end quote. Elizabeth took her husband's threat very seriously and is quoted as saying, I know well if I should come home again, my life should be but short. The Duchess was surrounded by enemies and she had little support in her cause as she was a woman in a man's world. Her voice really did not matter. However, in order to obtain his divorce, Norfolk would need Elizabeth's consent, and she wasn't going to give it. Even her children had turned against her and sided with their father. Author Jesse Childs in Henry VIII's Last Victim claims that Surrey probably sided with his father because Elizabeth had the nerve to approach Cromwell for help. Cromwell, of course, was the man that Norfolk detested above all others. Her daughter Mary, Duchess of Richmond, also sided with her father. Not only did she side with him, but she became good friends with Bess Holland. Whether Mary did this for self-preservation or that she supported her father for real, we just don't know. When Elizabeth discovered that her children had taken the side of their father, she was undoubtedly hurt and that said that she was, quote, matched with such an gracious husband and so ungracious a son and daughter, end quote. She described her children as unnatural, but also said that, quote, I have always love unto them, end quote. By the 1540s, Elizabeth had reconciled once again with her brother Henry, but not with her husband, who was still with his mistress. 
At the time of her husband's arrest in 1546, Elizabeth and Bess Holland were under the same roof at Kenninghall. Elizabeth gave evidence against her husband, and after his attainder, her apparel at Kenninghall was restored to her. At the time of his arrest, she had little in way of valuables, all being very bare and her jewels sold to pay her debts. When the Lady Mary became the first queen regnant in England, Elizabeth was able to return to court. She even carried the queen's train at her coronation, quite an honor. Elizabeth died on the 30th of November, 1558, around 61 years old, and was buried in the Howard Chapel at Lambeth. After doing all this research on Elizabeth Stafford, Duchess of Norfolk, I realized how much Mary Howard turned out to be like her mother. She was proud, and she was stubborn. Those two traits clearly are something that she inherited, or at least learned from her mother's actions. It makes me wonder if Elizabeth was proud of her intelligent daughter for standing up for herself. Well, that's where we'll end the show for this week. Thank you so much for taking this journey with me again. Until next time.